This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Alternative Talk 1150 KKNWAM. I'm Jim Perry, and you are listening to Night Drift, presented by Euphemet. Tonight is stories of places that exist, but only temporarily, and the people who experience them, dropping into what seems like an alternate dimension, its features unrecognizable, at a second glance, intruded on by its visitors pulled from somewhere else in space and time, sometimes even finding creatures. What does it mean to find out that you were nowhere? We ask our guest, paranormal investigator Bex Atwood tonight, as she shares with us stories from the field about these such places that don't quite exist. Then in the second half, some late-breaking news on a slew of reports of dogmen in the Puget Sound in Washington State. <laughs> I can't wait to talk about that tonight. What you, will ter- what, what you will hear tonight is more of that story, focusing greatly on the lands this AM frequency covers and the surrounding areas, the mysterious Pacific Northwest, a historical epicenter for the history of high strangeness. This place holds many secrets and, on occasion, whispers its tales to perked ears by way of shadowy tree line. The murmurs, rumbling among among loggers in halogen-lit truck-stop diners of the others, the ifs, the unknowns of it all. Listen, everyone around here knows we're not alone, and reality is slippery, especially in the cold and wet winter months. Broadcasting tonight from the hinterlands of the Oregon coast, I've lived in the Pacific Northwest my entire life. Its journey is mine. Its chill, bold, last gasp of normalcy left collapsed long ago for me. Its mystery all but solidified. You've Met, of course, takes me all over the world, documenting stories of those experiencing the unknown in life-changing ways. But I'll tell you 
I come back home not to serenity, not to a placid, sterile mundanity, but to a wild, reckless place mired in thick fog and legend. Its story is mine. The story is also now Bex Atwood's. She's a mycologist, witch, and paranormal investigator who lives between two big waterways on the Key Peninsula. She works with Liminal Earth, a website devoted to re-mythologizing our modern lives by way of collecting experiencer stories on an open-source map of the strange. Bex can often be found in a rain slicker, sizing up mushrooms next to gravestones and contemplating her many residential cases of high strangeness. But tonight, Bex is with us, and we're going straight into the interview tonight. No first ad break. Bex, welcome back to Night Drift. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for having me back. That was a beautiful intro, Jim. (laughs) Hey, thank you so much. I mean, it's hard to not be completely compelled by the artistic nature of the ambience here right of this of this wonderful place we live you're more uh, you're more of a recent transplant to this area that i've called home all my life what is it about this place that speaks to you coming at me with the easy questions first i see (laughs) (laughs) i I absolutely the first thing that took me away was the height of the trees so back east i mean we have a slew, a diversity of trees, but none was tall. And so I had lived in Alaska. Previous to this, I had visited Washington quite a few times. So I, I knew what I was getting into, but there was almost sort of this pull. And mm-hmm. as soon as my partner and I decided that we were going to move here, uh, everything kind of fell into place. And I think I mentioned this in the previous episode. I did not intend to move to this peninsula. It just was the only thing available. And, and yeah. through living here, you know, I've experienced all kinds of stuff. And so this is a really romantic, really spooky place. I, I kind of see this as the perfect haven for creatives and writers who need to kind of have some solitude, enjoy some extreme weather, and then come out with a masterpiece of sorts, if you will. It's so true. Yeah, today I was editing a, a Euphemet episode uh, that that adventure I had in Indiana that we had talked about previously as well. I was mm-hmm. editing that today in between two super hot showers and eating some soup because that's <laughs> that's what you do here. That's a vibe. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's I something. It. Maybe my house is too cold. Um, so, so listen, t- tonight you have brought stories from liminal earth and and reports from from your own investigations um you're you're our own you're you're our very own linda moulton howe here on this show i think which which is extremely uh if you if you don't if you're not familiar with her it's a tremendous compliment by the way so visiting (laughs) places visiting places that don't actually exist alternate dimensions uh varied timelines what are you seeing out there right now with some of these reports? Well, Jim, we have one that's on the Olympic Peninsula. Now, murmurs throughout the paranormal, I would say strangeness community at this point, um, murmurs say, you know, unsolved murders, uh, paranormal, ancient beings, old gods, um, mm. kind of have it all out there. And so no surprise, this first story 
comes from the Ollie Pen, but then we'll also be taking a little drive through the Lurston Valley in California. And then we might end up, you know, over in Mount Hood, Oregon for a mile post time slip, if you will. Um, Amazing. But this first Ollie Pen story has to do about a uh, couple of Twilight fans finding a pizza place and the uh, mystery that ensues. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so what happens? <laughs> so we have a family traveling uh, from Seattle. They're visiting some family. They're originally from New Mexico. So they come up to Washington, visit some family. Uh, the mom happens to be a huge Twilight fan. And so, of course, they're taking a trip on the Ollie Pen to Forks. Uh, now, our reporter at the time was only about seven or eight years old, but they claim to have very vivid memory of this. Um, and my thought is, how could you not after mm. <laughs> experience something like this? So mm. they're driving through. Um, they go see Forks and they stop at a museum in, in the middle of the forest, which I'm pretty familiar with this area in between Forks and Port Angeles is about where the coordinates were. Um, you know, big mountainous roads, two-way yeah. highways. Um, oh, it's I don't, wild there. It's so I don't wild. I first see a museum, <laughs> you know, just a array of museums sitting there. Um, right. I, I could see like a rest stop. I could see some national park type buildings, but a museum immediately kind of piques my interest. Right. Um, so they find this museum. They're like, you know, we're starving. Could you point us in the direction of a restaurant, convenience store? Luckily, there was a pizza place and convenience store combination close by. So they arrive and immediately they can sense the strangeness. Hmm. Um, so it starts with them trying to order pizza. And you think, oh, you're offering pizza. This is a pretty self-explanatory exchange. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> they had to explain right. them toppings. They wanted a half pizza, you know, which is a pretty, pretty simple concept for a pizzeria. Um, sure. They had no idea. And, and they said the way that the staff was behaving uh, was really odd, almost like mechanical. Um, and mm. so they're drawing a diagram of what they want the pizza to be because they just can't seem to get anywhere communication. Oh, <laughs> and they almost point out, too, that they were these people were trying to upsell them this unknown item called a Gatton puff what? and they kept g-a-t-e-n puff okay so they're like you know buy some Gatton puffs buy some Gatton puffs um while they're waiting for their pizza <laughs> um and so they were trying to also describe what size drinks they wanted and they were calling uh different cups the same size so they're just having a really hard time they're probably oh exhausted from driving this is a huge peninsula right. so you know they're a little fed up but they're they're starving so they're waiting for their pizza they decide to poke around the rest of the store there's absolutely no brands no lace chips no coca-cola everything was completely foreign wow. um couldn't recognize a single brand and then they go into the bathroom in the bathroom, the floor was completely warped. The uh, looked like it almost could have been a sauna previously that was renovated into a bathroom. Uh, the light switch was just a knob that had been painted over. And <laughs> this was a child, seven or eight, recognizing this bathroom is really strange. <laughs> right. 
and they pick that that unsettlingness up. And so, um, yeah, they were saying nothing was weird, um, nothing was dirty or truly scary about the place, but it just felt really off. Um, and that they described the staff member being so textbook normal as a person. There were no distinguishable features, nothing interesting or exemplary about them. They were just as normal as you mm. get to the point where it was off-putting. Yeah. That, you know, the, the where I've heard that before is when individuals have described on occasion the features of men in black and that there's <gasps> almost a, a stunning normalcy to them as if they're, you know, created by a video game or something as, as a as a as a stand in for a human being. <laughs> You're so right. Oh, my gosh. I didn't put that together. That's wild. So, so this is like, uh, this is like a story out of a Lovecraft novel, mm-hmm. right? Like this is. <laughs> so, so do do they ever get? I mean, do they get their pizza? Do they get their sodas? Like, what what happens here? <laughs> they get their pizza, but it's wrong. Um, Naturally. So they submit it back, and they find the staff hovering over it, um, poking and pawing at it. Like, oh no! <laughs> putting their fingers in the sauce and the cheese, like well, you know what's wrong. Why um, does that sound like the scariest <laughs> thing in America? I think that that would be what would set me over. That I would just run. Yeah, <laughs> you put your fingers in my food. I'm out. <laughs> right. <laughs> Naturally, but also there's there's something like so scary about that image of looking back. You know the the you know sort of the kitchen window or something, and these people just like looking at a pizza as if they they don't understand what it is, and they're the ones that gave it to you. Exactly, exactly. And so they see that they buy some weird branded items and they take off. They're done. And their dad mentioned that they were worried about possible mercury poisoning um, because of how odd they were behaving. But here's where we start to get clues that this place may not exist at all. Um, If the clues weren't enough, they go back home. Uh, They're talking with their friends, their family, describing their experience. And some time goes by and their family members go to try to find the place. (laughs) And and this is kind of a one way in, one way out road. It's, you know, it's a two way road. You either go from Seattle all the way to Forks or you go from um, Aberdeen all the way over to Forks. Yeah. Um, So, you know. You're describing the location of this place. It's pretty. It's pretty hard to miss. I mean, to they add drive- context to that too, Bex. On one yes. side is the Pacific Ocean, and on the other side of this road is the Olympic National Rainforest. So yeah, that doesn't have a ton of roads cutting through. And then on the other side of that is you know the Sound. So yeah, it's it's literally a, a small road that that goes up to this peninsula. To to, I went there for the first time last year. And mm-hmm. it was it was pretty kind of eerie just driving on that road alone. Absolutely. And I've heard a lot of stories um, about people having horrible encounters with like logging trucks and things that are just racing by. Um, mm-hmm. and it's a pretty small road. And, and that's originally what it was used for. And so mm-hmm. I associate that a lot with, um, yeah, it's a very narrow road. It gets very dark in the winter, very wet. Um, I mean, what are we talking about? People have yeah. seen Twilight, right? I People. know. Yeah, we go watch Twilight. <laughs> right. 
pretty accurate though. Well, they filmed most of that in Oregon actually. So um, yes and no. But yeah, you would you would notice a pizza place, you would notice a Raymond Museum, you know, off the road. Uh, it's pretty pretty straightforward what you got out there. Yeah. But um, yeah, so they have their family go and try to check it out. They drive up and down that road. They go exactly where they told them. They cannot find the museum. They cannot find the pizza place. And it almost appeared like the entire area they pointed out was forested. So there's no way that you could completely clear out a restaurant um, and have an entire forest grow where it was. Um, That is so interesting to me. I couldn't imagine what they must have felt like when they heard back from the family. And I was like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. You know, there's nothing out here. I just couldn't imagine. (laughs) Unreal. I know. Like how would you feel at that point in time? And, and these are the sort of puzzles that, uh, really activate the uh, imaginations and the curiosity of uh, authentic paranormal investigators, right? Because these are the things that that really seemingly can't be solved. One of the things I have heard from paranormal investigators in these situations of disappearing places is, you know, if if you feel like you're, you know, if you're listening to this now and you have a situation where you have strange you know, sort of uh, uh, strange people poking at your pizza and you think this place, maybe if I leave, won't exist, take an <laughs> object and keep it. And and mm-hmm. maybe that object that you keep will provide some clue about what dimension this pizza place is from. <laughs> right. Yeah, I absolutely. Um, I, I really wish like we're actually in contact with the submitter right now and we're trying to get exact location we're trying to get as much information as we can um because we're actually going to go out and investigate right there um that is so cool hopefully experience it ourselves i don't know if we're keen really on like solving anything but we just want to have that experience as well so that we can kind of share our perspective but um it's going to be really interesting and, and i'm just i can't imagine what the submitter must feel like you know having this to themselves all these years and, you know, going from, Oh, I just experienced this and it was weird with my family to your, your validation that someone else tried to find it. It yeah. doesn't even exist. What does that feel like? And how right. does that affect your life? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. When you go out and you find a sign out in the brush from the 1970s for the pizza restaurant, that's long been closed, you know, <sighs> like <laughs> you, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm purely speculating here, but of course that is the reason why. Um, no, I mean like, listen, I think that's what's really so captivating about the folks at Liminal Earth, you included, is that I don't know for sure. I'll have to ask Garrett and Jeremy about this, but I, I don't know if upon creating this website and this source for people to list their strange experiences that there was an inclination to go and investigate these cases boots on the ground necessarily now being at this place where that is certainly what you're doing now. And that is so exciting because somebody has to go and take another look and, and, and also how incredibly fun for you. Right. Right. Yeah. You could have a liminal adventure out of it and it's completely crowdsourced. And so it's not like we're, you know, we're not listening to these stories and reporting them ourselves. These are 100% reported by the experiencer or someone close to them. Like we do not 
share anything to the map. Um, so I, I think it's great that we always have their contact information too, if we want to try to reach out unless they choose not to provide that. But I know with the map originally, it was kind of a database type system. They were trying to yeah. record patterns within dreams and within things like that. Um, couldn't tell you what point it switched to them investigating, um, but I know that they've done it long before I joined. Yeah. Um, but that's that's what it's all about, you know, is being able to try to experience what they did and, and be able to kind of resonate with them on that level, but then yeah. um, kind of see where it takes you. It's yeah. so right. interesting. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and before our, our, our mid break here, let's, let's jump back into the car and, and let's drive down to California where, where you have this next story from Liminal Earth. Yeah. So we're going to drive down to the Lucerne Valley and this one's called the uh, Mirage Gas Station. Oh man. And this is one of our favorites here at Liminal Earth because it involves root beer. <laughs> you see a food theme there. It's, you're it not, involves you're not root wrong. beer. <laughs> that was root beer you said it i did i did say root beer it's oh, right. uh it's a very local um canadian it's an indigenous root beer okay <laughs> so we have uh luke luke is driving with their grandmother uh their ac went out in their honda passport uh this takes place in 2008 so they're driving through the desert ac goes out it's extremely hot um, they were on their way to a high school graduation. Um, so there, he has a little bit of backstory about, he spent some time in Canada, um, spent some time there with local indigenous folk for two weeks. They drank a type of local root beer, um, just from that specific area, snapped back to them driving in the desert. He is quench. He's dreaming about this root beer. Yeah. And they're looking on their GPS zero gas stations around nothing mm. but lo and behold they see a building appear you know and in the desert it's very hot there is like a uh, almost like a mirage on the road where you can't really mm. see that far in front of you um mm. if you're driving a very long straight distance um so you know watching something appear isn't completely out of the ordinary when it comes to those long desert drives mm, right. um but it's the specifics of this gas station that really get interesting um so they show up and it's a super old timey gas station, the, the vintage pumps, the building itself was made out of stones, smoothed out by years of flash floods. Inside the building was a single beverage stall. Hmm. What was inside that stall, you may ask, were a selection of bottled waters. And then that specific brand of indigenous Canadian root beer. Oh my gosh. Um, so they were thrilled. They were like, yes, we're getting yeah. it. This is going to, you know, combat the heat. They go to the, uh, there's nothing weird about the store clerk I need to add, but, you know, they, they go to this graduation. They're saying, let's go the same way back. Let's get some more root beer because they cannot find it anywhere, anywhere yeah. else. Right. Especially not in some desert town in California. Sure. But what do you know? They drive the road three times. There is no stone gas station. There's no nothing. And our submitter, Luke, really wanted to figure it out. And so they had returned multiple times. And well, they've ran like into locals. <laughs> Absolutely. And so 
they reached out to the locals. They, they, everyone, no, 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 this does not exist. And, and, you know, they've made multiple trips out of it at this point. And so, you know, love that commitment, but pretty much proving our theory, this place does not exist. They're like, what, (laughs) what, what, why are you so intent on finding this root beer? (laughs) And my thing is like, you are such a strong manifester that you created a whole building in the desert with just your root beer. Like (laughs) we need to talk. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, that's a great point, Bex. I mean, what do you think these stories and these situations tell us about ourselves? Do you think there's a level of sort of uh, co-creation here in some of these events? You know what? That really start. That theory is really kicking off in the in the paranormal world. As we yeah. dive deeper into these subjects, we find it's it's more and more human centric than we thought. Yeah. Um, so I have you know two theories that can kind of overlap, but I'm I'm willing, you know these these theories are progressional and, and they'll change over time. Um, I have a theory that it could be another reality leaking, hmm. um, some sort of other parallel world that just happens to come in for a second, come out, or kind of maybe overlay for a yeah. moment. But then what what element of that is? the human mind and, and being in this position of being in this desert, you have no AC, you're looking for water. Not only do you find a place, but it has that root beer that you were just dreaming about. Mm. Um, when you're in those desperate situations, when you're, when you're feeling so strongly about something, can that actually manifest physically? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's almost, it, it feels like in terms of that story, that's a huge sign that something is happening, mm-hmm. right? And and that there's a relationship there between someone needing or wanting something and then it being provided in a very strange way to them. Absolutely. And I feel like it takes a very special person to notice that because I, I feel like a lot of folks will go out of their way to justify that, you know, and, and be like, no, 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 it's fine. It's a it's massive coincidence, the most biggest coincidence of my life, but here we go. And then, you know, there are folks like, oh, so like did I make that happen? <laughs> what is going on here? <laughs> yeah. I right. have questions. Yeah. Uh, have you ever had an experience yourself and you don't have to tell me the story, but have you ever had an experience like this yourself where something has, you know, disappeared? Never, never. I think that's why it's so alluring to me because I have so many different kinds of experiences, but not this. This yeah. is unique. Yeah. Well, it's unique and it's it, as unique as it is, it is happening everywhere and it's happening here in the Pacific Northwest and the West Coast to a great degree. Uh, it's probably happening similar lengths in, in other parts of the country and other parts of the world. And we know about this idea of A ports and D ports. I've shared those stories myself of, of things disappearing and reappearing um, from within the confines of my own car, right? And so it's, it's so interesting that these things happen and, and they're happening, I don't know, maybe more and more as this veil gently breaks right in front of our eyes. And I think it's phenomenal that Liminal Earth is in a position to collect these stories, document them, and then start to look into them. I think it's great. So I agree. Right after this break, we are going to explore more strange cases with Bex, including reports of dogmen 
here in the Pacific Northwest. And we're taking your calls. Have you visited a place that doesn't actually exist anymore? From wherever you're listening right now tonight, if you want to call in, 888-298-KKNW. That's right after this from Night Drift with Jim Perry. on social media at euphemet e-u-p-h-o-m-e-t what's better on a chilly fall night than curling up in front of the tv for a great scary movie and nobody has a better collection of horror thriller and the supernatural than shutter the best streaming service for horror shutter is the exclusive home for found footage hit vhs 94 a shutter original shutter's expertly curated collection includes must-see titles like vicious fun the Mortuary Collection, and PG, Psycho Goreman. Plus, all the best horror documentaries and the hit Creepshow TV series from executive producer Greg Nicotero of The Walking Dead. And thanks to AMC Network Shudder, UFAMET listeners can watch all of that and more for free right after you finish this episode. To try Shudder for free for 30 days, go to Shudder.com and use promo code UFAMET. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com, promo code UFAMET. Binge the latest seasons of Creepshow and Slasher, both exclusively on Shudder. Catch new episodes of drag competition show The Belay Brothers' Dragula and new docuseries Behind the Monsters on the origins and pop culture dominance of your favorite modern movie monsters. I watch on my Apple TV with some stove-popped popcorn and throw it all up in the air with every jump scare that happens. It's not too hard to get into what you're watching on Shudder. New exclusives this month include Nicolas Cage in Prisoners of Ghostland and Killer Shark movie Great White. You can watch those films and more for free right after you finish this episode. New stuff is added weekly. It's just $5.99 a month or $56.99 a year. But you can try Shudder for free for 30 days and help support Euphemet while you're at it. Just go to Shudder.com, S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com, and use promo code Euphemet. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Alternative Talk 1150, the talk of the sound.
You're listening to Night Drift with Jim Perry on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM, KKNW, Seattle. Now, here again is Jim. I am back, and I'm back with Bex Atwood. And if you want more Night Drift, you can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Please subscribe, rate, and review. And don't forget to subscribe to Euphemet while you're at it. That's E-U-P-H-O-M-E-T. And for more information, visit euphemet.com. Next week, our guest will be Eleanor Criswell, director of the Novato Institute for Somatic Research and Training and professor of psychology at Sonoma State University, a pioneer of mind-body practices here in the Western world. She recently wrote an incredible article for the Institute of Noetic Studies entitled, How Psychic Suppression May Impact the Heredity of Psi Genes. Let me, let me say that again how psychic suppression may impact the heredity of psi genes. Oh my gosh, I can't wait to get into that. Eleanor Criswell is next week at 5 p.m. PST, 8 p.m. Eastern here on Alternative Talk, 1150 KKNWAM. And you can stream it at euphemet.com. We have a couple comments tonight on Twitter uh, from this what we're about to talk about, which is the dog man or dog men uh soft sorrentero says i'm fascinated had an experience back in 1978 on organ sr 244 where a large dog-like creature jumped from the trees on one side to the center line to the trees on the other side black and definitely canine terrified all of us wow <laughs> that's that's a wild uh, account and i don't know how i would react either um except like them never forgetting about it and then brett karstens has a comment most of what i've heard from witnesses experiencers who've told me of their accounts make dog men sound pretty nefarious i've never heard anything not terrifying about them anybody and so bex you're back here on the show with us we were talking about the strange places we visit that don't actually exist and the things that we see that aren't quite there, at least in this timeline. And now we're shifting gears and we're, we're going to a late breaking story right here on Night Drift about the emergence of, of several dogmen reports here in the Puget Sound. Tell me more about what we're seeing right now. Absolutely. So dogman sightings, I have always associated them to be more of an East Coast type situation. I hmm. do not feel that way anymore. Um, I received a report from a local resident here on the Key Peninsula in Washington. Uh, there is a cemetery called the Vaughn Cemetery, and it is the home of our first dogman report for the evening. Um, pretty simple, clear cuts. They were visiting the cemetery. They saw a seven to eight foot tall, half dog, half man, all black. Oh he jumped in the middle of the road right next to the cemetery, uh, made eye contact and disappeared into the woods. And we know the woods around here, how easy it is to do that. Sure. Um, terrifying, even if you just get a glimpse. <laughs> yeah. But the Holy person sense. that reported this went on to say, I think this is kind of where they hang out, is around this cemetery. Now, I have to correct myself. It's actually the Victor 
cemetery, not the Vaughn Cemetery, but it's within five miles from each other. Um, Submitter truly believes that this is where um, they refer to them as just werewolves, um, but describe them as half men, half dogs. Uh, but they believe that there's multiple and that they kind of consider Victor Cemetery to be home. Um, now oh it's gosh. very small, very rural cemetery uh, with plenty of woods around it. So who knows? What terrifies me so much about this story is that we've noticed that paranormal experiences for individuals occur in a way that feels so dumb and on the nose to what we see on popular culture that 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 it that it makes people question their own sanity like not only did mm-hmm. they experience something unbelievable they experienced it in a way that would it it would definitely be portrayed exactly in a movie from the 90s <laughs> absolutely and, and, absolutely you're telling me about a pack of 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 werewolves essentially at a cemetery you know, on the peninsula in, in this foggy, you know, sort of pristine forest. Um, uh, terrifying. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think I'm, I'm curious and I often wonder what the root of that fear is for us. Is it the fact that one of our beloved pets for hundreds of years all of a sudden has morphed with us and has created this beast? Um, yeah. You know, huh. what's, what's behind that fear? Or is it just you know, a terrifying creature that does not you know, belong in the woods, according to ecology. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, I, um, you know, maybe you've had a chance to experience this, your time in Alaska, for example, Um, the amount of, um, I don't know, uh, things we can't control when we're out in the wilderness alone. Mm -hmm. Um, The chance encounters with the wild that, we are just hoping that we don't have. I think what this does is it it brings that level of almost inherent fear in us that that we have since you know since our inception probably right. uh, into a place where the supernatural is grounded in that way. And to to consider how frightening wild wolves can be, like a pack of wild wolves, right? To consider them as being eight feet tall and and almost looking human <laughs> man that yeah. really is is so gripping what so uh what is uh what's some of the other accounts yeah so we have what i've discovered to almost be like a bermuda triangle of dogman sightings here from bremerton to gig harbor and then from gig harbor over to the key peninsula in victor so oh, interesting um, but the other two are pretty similar. Uh, they don't involve cemeteries this time, uh, but I do have one dating all the way back to 2009. Remember, it was a pretty clear-cut story of someone's going hiking and they and they see it kind of um, off in the distance, and um, you know, we're like, "Is that is that a dog?" But a dog, you know, the distance here—that's that has to be at least seven feet tall. And so we're recognizing some consistencies with the height. It's a, a black animal um, and it is extremely fast and agile. And so, you know, they went on a few um, interviews talking about it, um, but that did happen in Bremerton and they're um, bringing up points of, you know, this, this town is so safe. It's a family town. You know, we can't just have this dog, man, you know, wreaking oh havoc. Gosh. 
Um, So that's in 2009. The one I just reported to you is 2021, but it does, uh, her experiences there range from about 2001 to to now. Uh, Oh my gosh. This third report of Gig Harbor is from a fellow listener, uh, Kate. And Kate experienced uh, the dog man phenomenon while she was visiting her home in Gig Harbor while she was uh, currently attending college in about 2010 to 2011. And uh, she saw it out her kitchen window and um, saw it out her window and um, yeah, watched it run away and um, Mm. pointed out the same height, seven to eight feet. It was uh, what I believe to be a darker color. And um, yeah, really interesting stuff. It seems like most of these encounters are pretty brief, um, but they're yeah. impactful enough for these folks to share these stories all these years later. And so I'm putting together these pieces and I'm recognizing a little bit of a triangle happening. And um, I'm curious as to where else there are reports. Maybe listeners out there can help us with that as well. Um, but then trying to connect the dots on you know, we have these physical features that are similar. We have these encounters that are always um, brief. Um, maybe we can put some of those puzzle pieces together and see, uh, see if we can encounter one ourselves. <laughs> oh my gosh, Bex. Like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, oh I know. man. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, wow. Um, that enters a whole new uh, conversation that we don't have um, time for tonight, but maybe on our you next hear screaming yeah, all the way episode. In yeah. I mean, <laughs> <He's> like, no, <laughs> it starts to get to a place where some of this stuff feels just, just a little dangerous. But then again, uh, we, we have to start asking ourselves also who, who is the intruder here? Is it, is it us or is it them? You know? Um, and in fact, I, I do have a report of, uh, of an additional dog man, or, or Wolfman sighting because earlier this year we released the fourth season of Euphemet and on episode 35, which you can find right now uh, on the podcast feed, uh, it's called the Island. Uh, uh, a Euphemet listener, Libby details her relationship with her home Orcas Island and it as the location of her own dogman encounter. So our producer Harmony was was kind enough to pull up this tape and and we'll listen to that right now. Her accounts of a dogman on Orcas Island. Philosophers, poets and writers like to talk about that moment when staring into the abyss when it turns to stare back at you. I live outside of town by a few miles, but my friend who lives in that little tiny town I mentioned earlier She was on vacation for the holidays, and she asked me to take care of her cat while she was gone. So I said, you know, sure, no problem. I would drive into town a couple times a day, feed her cat in that single neighborhood that's that's lit at night. It is just pitch black everywhere. So I came out of her house, and um, I went down into the driveway, got into my car, backed out of her driveway just like I did every night that I took care of her cat. And um, I drove to the end of the street she lived on, which ended at a little stop sign, and then as you sat at the stop sign across that road, there was a short little cul-de-sac with a few other houses on it. So the headlights of my car were shining down into this cul-de-sac from the stop sign. What I saw at the end of the cul-de-sac where it rounded out was this, this large, broad-shouldered humanoid figure crouched down. And I just, I just remember 
grabbing hold of my steering wheel and looking at this dog-headed thing that was crouching down against the ground and staring back at me. And I remember saying out loud, Is that a werewolf? If you imagine kind of crouching on your heels with your knees sort of up, and it had its hands down between its feet. Its body was completely black. It had a very, like a narrow skull, a narrow long muzzle, and two big pointy ears that stood straight up. So it kind of, if you can imagine the Egyptian god Anubis with the jackal head, that's what it was. It had two bright green luminous eyes that were staring back at me. If you think of um, the tapita lucidum in most animals' eyes that reflects light at night, that was the same kind of reflection I was getting. That, that was where the light was coming from. It was like a retinal reflection from from a dog. It was it was moving a little bit, it, and I I kind of that was what caught my eye. I think was the motion of it. And I stared at this thing, and I realized it was its body was heaving as if it was drawing really heavy breaths. I just, like, cranked the wheel and drove off as fast as I could because I didn't know what else to do. And, like, I was so shocked I didn't even grab my phone to try to take a video or a picture of it. I just... I didn't even think of that in the moment. All I could do was stare at this thing and just think, what the hell is that? I've never seen anything like it before. (laughs) So, yeah. So I drove off as fast as I could, and at first, of course, like as I was going through town, I was just like, I was shaking, I was freaking out. I kept looking in my rearview mirror thinking this thing was going to come chasing after me, right? And then I got about halfway to town and um, my thoughts slowed down a little bit and I started to kind of think about its posture and its like, its hard breath. Before I was riding full time, I was working as a zookeeper and I realized, I guess from from my experience with working with so many other kinds of animals in the past, that um, its body language was saying that it was scared. It was terrified. And all I could think was it had to have been terrified of me. And then I sort of realized what it must have looked like to that creature. This, you know, metallic vehicle suddenly emerging into its reality with lights emanating from it. And I thought, oh my god, I was a UFO. My Hyundai was a UFO. Like, (laughs) I scared this poor, this poor being, this entity, whatever it was. Like, somehow I popped into its reality or it popped into mine or whatever. And, and I was I was the scary thing, you know? <laughs> I was the terrifying object that shattered its, its reality. And then I was just, I was laughing. By the time I got back home, I was like, what the hell, man? Some, some beast out there in some dimension thinks that my Hyundai is a UFO. I mean, listen to that. Uh, scared. Terrified. It, it begs the question, Bex, who is the intruder here? Them or us? Absolutely. Oh my gosh, that is, I've heard that a few times and it's so compelling. You can hear in their voice just how emotional of an experience it was. And then, and then having such profound thought so quick after the experience is amazing. Right. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> like, man, I want to get yeah. into their head. Um, yeah, yeah. But it's, yeah, who's, who's really intruding you? And then thinking about you know, Victor Cemetery, for instance, you know, we're, we're driving in our UFOs, 
And then we're visiting people that are dead and we buried in the ground. And we're, you know, taking pictures with a flash on this rectangle that glows and can talk. Um, nice. <laughs> yikes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and what was so, I don't know, alarming about that story and why I thought, you know, these reports of dogmen tied together so well with the other stories you shared about these essentially, you know, sort of places that don't really exist or only exist temporarily. You know, she, Libby, had this sense that that she popped to in, popped into its reality, right? right? So, so this idea of of us, you know, not always being the victims of other things, sort of popping into our reality and scaring us, but on those occasions that we're actually stepping into a different place, and 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 we are the the, the visitors or the intruders, and it almost feels like these cases are are more similar to that. Right, like entering into a restaurant or whatever, and 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 those people feeling weird. Well, I mean, maybe those, you know, strange people working at the pizza shop felt that these maybe future people were weird. <laughs> you know, yeah, absolutely. And it makes me think of of uh, some other reports on the maps of people will will report an instance where they feel like they may have had a brush with a time truck. And so that also kind of ties in for me of like, you know, you can, you can pick them out of the crowd. There's just something so different about them. They're not from this time. And so walking into this pizza place that doesn't exist in our reality, they're probably thinking, who is that? Why are they dressed that way? Why are they asking me about pizza? <laughs> like, what is, you know, what is this guy doing? Um, right. And so that's, that's also really profound to think about. Um, can we, can we be capable of slipping into other times? other worlds and and what beings are there um existing they're not waiting for us at all um they're existing living their lives and, and we just pop in um mm. that's interesting that's it's very- so alarming yeah and it applies to sort of the panoply of the strange right um i've never used that word before i hope it's correct oh. and i think it is <laughs> <laughs> You know, in in terms of uh, uh, UFO experiences or ghost-like experiences, is this all some sort of form of cross-dimensionality that we're dealing with here? You know, going back to Dogman, though, we're seeing these things almost as if Sasquatch. Do any of these reports suggest, just like others who have experienced Sasquatch, that they feel like they're being watched? Are, are, Are people getting that feeling? Absolutely, especially out in Victor Cemetery with my local reporter. Um, she absolutely felt watched, and, and she has a hard time driving down even that whole road. It's called Powerline Road, and, and there's a lot of nefarious uh, strangeness that occurs on that road. Um, but she claims she has a hard time visiting the cemetery, and she has a hard time uh, driving on that road because she just feels eyes on her after that. Um, and I understand why that's, that's incredible. Um, but that seems to be a theme, right? Is once you see it, these eyes aren't ever really off of you. And that's what I would probably find the most uncomfortable and disturbing out of, out of the whole experience if I were to have an experience. Right. Well, speaking of watching, 
I appreciate that people like you and the Liminal Earth team are watching the Liminal Earth, Earth board and the map and going out there and digging into these stories. And I so appreciate, Bex, you being on the show and, and uh, telling these stories to us. Where can people find the rest of your work and, and Liminal Earth? Absolutely. So I am B-E-X, Bex in the Liminal across all platforms. I mean, they're... Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. Uh, and then I'm at liminal.earth across all platforms. Uh, check out our map, liminal.earth instead of .com. Uh, it's a pretty cool map. They worked really hard on it. And um, I really appreciate every submission we get. We do try to go live once every week or so to talk about our map updates and just have a round table of uh, experiences, planning investigations, and so on and so forth. Uh, we'd love to have y'all come and listen to us ramble on about all things strange well i appreciate it and i can't wait till you come back on this program and ramble on as well and uh, <laughs> so thank you so much bex and and thank you for listening to night drift with jim perry on alternative talk kknw eleven fifty a.m seattle hear the show anytime on its podcast feed wherever you listen to them go to euphemet.com for more and join us next sunday and until then keep looking up. Spotify and subscribe on Apple Podcasts to receive new episodes of Night Trip automatically and gain access to all of our past episodes. Mm-hmm.